Close your eyes and imagine that you are 12 years old. Think about your ideal vacation. Live in that happy place for a few moments and then come on back. Because I think Anne M. Martin captured a pretty accurate version of that dream vacation for many kids. In the first ever Babysitter's Club Super Special, Babysitters on Board, published in 1988, Babysitters on Board takes readers along with the Stony Brook crew on a two-part bestie trip, first on a cruise and then to Disney World. As you would expect, there is some babysitting involved. But if you're Christy, Marianne, Claudia, Dawn, or Stacy, that's really not such a bad thing, right? The girls make lots of new friends aboard the Ocean Princess, explore the Bahamas, and have a great time in Disney World. There are secret admirers, sweet crushes, treasure maps, rowdy pike children, and a surprising degree of freedom for these children. My guests and I break it all down on today's episode. And we also talk about the ways in which the Babysitter's Club, and this book specifically, influenced her own writing career. This week, we have a real icon of YA publishing as a guest, Sarah Shepard. Sarah is the best-selling author of wildly popular series for teens, including Pretty Little Liars, The Lying Game, and The Perfectionists, among other fantastic, twisty novels. Her latest book, Wait For Me, is now available. Follow Sarah on Instagram at Sarah C. Shepard and on Twitter at Sarah Books. Thanks so much to Sarah for taking the time to revisit the BSC and to discuss it with me. If you're not already, make sure you're staying on top of all things SSR by following along on social media. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Get even more involved by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can do this for as little as $1 per month. At each tier of support, you will get access to unique exclusive rewards, from an invite to our Discord channel and the Shit We Read book club, to monthly reading recap videos and newsletters, and weekly exclusive Q&As with our guests. We are gearing up to kick off another month in SWR. In April, we will be discussing We Are Not Like Them by Joe Piazza and Christine Pride. Get all the details at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. I am an independent podcaster, which means I operate without the backing of a larger organization. The contributions I receive from patrons make a huge difference as I continue to grow the show. Plus, I love getting to know the Patreon community. Thanks so much to all of the patrons tuning in now. If you think of it, please take a few moments to leave a five-star rating or review of the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also make sure that you are subscribed and or following SSR on your podcast player. Little things like this make a big difference to the show. As always, I would love to point all of the audiobook lovers in the audience in the direction of Libro.fm, which is my audiobook platform of choice. It's a great alternative to Audible because it allows you to support independent bookstores instead of giant corporations. We all rely on Amazon for a lot of things, but since audiobooks are delivered to your phone immediately no matter where you buy them, this is the perfect place to make the switch. The audiobooks you get will sound and cost the same as the ones you buy from the big guys. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O F-M, and use code SSRPODCAST when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. 
And now it's time to set sail with the BSC. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hafkasik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to SSR. So excited to be here. Thank you. It is a super special day because we are talking about a Babysitter's Club super special. We're talking about the first ever Babysitter's Club super special, Babysitters on Board. And you suggested this Babysitter's Club installment specifically. So I want to hear all about why. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, I, did, I forgot it was super special number one. I thought actually, I thought there was a beach, a beach one that came first. I was a huge fan of these books. They came out like right when I was sort of the appropriate age to read them. Although I'm pretty sure that I read this book far into middle school and high school, like again and again, because it just was so comforting, (laughs) especially this one. And this one always stuck into my head. The beach one did too. I mean, I love reading books about um, kids traveling places, but this one was especially fun because they were, they were on a cruise ship and they were going to Disney world. And um, it just felt like every, it was like aspirational kid ideal trip. And I had just been to Disney World, I think, when my family, we went, I don't know, sometime in the 80s when this book came out. So it was like the added bonus of, oh, I know what they're talking about, or I've been to Epcot, or like, you know, I've been to, so yeah, so it just always stuck with me, and it was so much fun to read it again. It did not disappoint. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> I would have felt a horrible if it had let you down. <laughs> right, right. No, no. I was just like, yes, this is this is what I remember. I remember really being fascinated with like all of the elements of a cruise ship and it just sounded amazing. I have since been on a cruise. It's not quite as amazing. <laughs> but I didn't go as, I didn't go as a kid. And I bet that like going as a kid would have been much more fun. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you say that because I've posted a picture of the book a couple of times and I can't even count how many people replied with something like, oh my God, this is the one where they went on the cruise and to Disney World. Like, yes! This is the best one. So yeah, <laughs> you was. are certainly not the only one who holds a special place in their heart for this one. I don't think I read this one when I was a kid. I feel like I never made it to most of the super specials. I was really like a core Babysitter's Club kind of girl. But I did get to go on a Disney cruise when I was a kid. So I that was like the best vacation I've ever been on to this day. And I'm 32 years old. And that's probably really embarrassing. And I'm sure if I went on it now, it would not be as great as I remember it. But as I was reading this book, like I I was sort of transported back to like that experience and how fun it was. And it's funny because my husband and I have been kind of like play arguing a lot lately about cruises and like 
I don't really want to go on a cruise right now, but I am always like, what if we someday decide to go on a cruise? Because of course, all these influencers are like celebrity cruise lines. Like, look how nice this cruise looks. <laughs> and so I keep showing him. He's like, I will never go on a cruise. Like ever, 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 no matter what. And I'm like, if we have a kid, what if we want to go on Disney cruise? And he said he won't go. So um, in the midst of all of this play arguing, I got to read Babysitters on Board, and it did just bring me back to that very, like, tender place for the Disney cruise and for Disney World in general. Yeah. I also loved, there was a part of me that I'm sure when reading this, that some of these kids got to just go and wander off by themselves on this cruise ship. It was unbelievable the amount of freedom that, that they gave these kids. Like, kids of all ages. No, I was like, my parents would never. Like, there were the boys, the boys that went to explore that island. They just, like, the parents were like, go ahead, go, go, just foreign. We don't know where you are. And then the one girl who, is it Mallory? Is She was, she was the one who's the spy, sort of doing the spying. Yeah. They let her walk around Disney World by, by herself. Well, here's the thing that I don't understand. They keep letting these kids like roam the ship, roam the islands, walk around Disney World, which seems like a really bad idea. But they have also hired kids to come babysit them. So like, why did you hire babysitters if you're just going to let your kids roam free? And like, I get it. Anna and Martin did it for the plot. Like we did it so that we could have this magical book. But it is funny because I feel like the younger kids in this book spent a lot more time unsupervised than they did supervised. And the whole book wouldn't exist if not for this concept of babysitting. And there are also a couple of extra babysitters there who are not even working. Yes. Who like, they could have pitched in. Like the parents could have like thrown them a few extra dollars to like help out. There's a weird situation because, okay, so there's a, there were 21 people in total in their group, which is that sounds like a lot of troops to rally on a trip. Yeah, it's it's hard. It was hard to keep track of. Really hard. Even as I was like going back through my notes and like trying to find summaries to make sure that I followed everything. I feel like we might, we're going to get some of the details a little wrong, but it's, it's the spirit of the babysitters on board people. There's just a lot of people to keep track yes. of. But basically like two of the babysitters, I believe it's Marianne and Dawn. Or Marianne and Stacy, yes. Marianne, Marianne and Stacy mm-hmm. were the hired babysitters. Mm-hmm. And then the other three are just there to have a good time. Right. Christy's family is going. Right. And then there's the Pikes, and then they hired Marianne and Stacy. And then they're like, and then we just invited Dawn and Claudia. Like, right? I would be right? so mad. Yes. Yeah. I would be so mad. <laughs> If I were Dawn or Claudia or Chris, The other two. The other two because mm-hmm. the their friends are just like doing whatever they want. Although everybody ends up doing some babysitting because they just like can't help themselves but babysit. In fact, the summary on the back of the book says, you know, it lists all of the activities that they're doing. And then the last line says, and they still have time for what they like right? most of all. Babysitting. <laughs> they can't help themselves, Sarah. They love it. They can't, they can't help themselves, no. I have to know, both in this book and like also more broadly – do you remember if there was one babysitter in particular that like you most identified with as a teenager, as a kid? I really liked Claudia. I really liked Claudia and Stacy. My favorite thing about both of them was their outfit descriptions. I loved hearing about the clothes that they wore. I know, they were so cool. Because it went it went from it wasn't just like I wore this color shirt and this color pants or whatever, skirt or whatever, like no, it was like the color of barrettes, 
the different kind of jewelry that if she had a belt, if she had a purse, like it was all, <laughs> the whole range. So I loved reading about them. I, I, I think probably Claudia, as far as being artistic, because I sort of, I always felt like her. I was not very much like Christy. That was what was so fun about the babysitters though, is that you like found your, you know, you were like, there was, there was something for everybody. Yeah. And there was a, you know, a character you could always identify with, but I liked all of them though. I, they were, they were all fun to read because they were all, they all had pretty different personalities. Yeah. I think we all have a little bit of all of them. Yeah. Who was yours? Did you have? I thought a lot about this over the years, as you can imagine, during <laughs> this podcast. And it's evolved for me. So Stacy and Claudia have always been aspirational. They're aspirational to me when I was a kid because, like you said, like their outfits sounded so cool and I kind of wanted to be like them. To this day, like I think I'm, I'm a little bit of a Claudia just because of the artistic thing and like wanting to mm-hmm. make things and, and do things my own way. But they're still a little aspirational to me. Like, they're still right. cool girls. I feel like as a kid, I was more of a Marianne because I really I really related to her bookishness and to the fact that she was quiet and shy. Mm-hmm. I think over time, I've become a little bit more of a Christy. Although, when I was a kid, I would have been like, I'll never be like Christy because I did not do sports at all. And mm-hmm. Christy's whole thing is sports. But right. I think, like, eventually Mallory does graduate from being one of the babysat to being a babysitter. Right. And I do think there's a lot of Mallory in me probably too. Mallory, I think, you know, besides this book and probably the other vacation book, which was when they went to Sea City. Yeah, that's um, a good I one. <laughs> I don't remember which one that is. That was all I really remembered of Mallory. I think I was too old at that point to be reading when once Mallory was introduced as a character, like a, a babysitter. I think Mallory was weird, though, because when I was a kid, I remember understanding that maybe Mallory was supposed to be a little annoying because she had once been babysat and now we're suddenly supposed to take her seriously. Okay. So I think that I was like, oh, I wouldn't want to be a Mallory. But when I come back to the books as an adult and I love the Netflix adaptation and so I've watched Mm. both seasons of that, as I've like realized the kind of character that Mallory is, I'm like, oh, Mallory was annoying, but I might have been a little bit of a Mallory. Okay. So I'm just coming, I'm making peace with it. I think Mallory is especially weird in this book, although she does deliver some pretty inf- important information to the other babies. I mean, she does. She is a spy. Yes. <laughs> she is observing. And she, and I loved that she noticed all of the important people who, and then become important to other other characters in the book like that was very convenient yeah we needed her to move the story along we did we did so yeah <laughs> she she just but but she and how old is she supposed to be in it because I, I was going back and I couldn't find it I know it's here I think she's two years well, oh she's 11 she's 11 yeah. I see it right here yeah so, okay, the so other she's girls 11 are 13, so she's 13 yeah right so she's wandering around the ship by herself and then the 10 year old triplet She's also wandering around Disney World, but I, I can't get over this. I'm sorry. My parents would have never let me do this. I have an 11-year-old now. I would never let him wander around Disney World by himself. And he has a phone. That's so true. Yeah. I mean, you could track yeah. him. Because the mom, <laughs> I mean, I, I read that part and I was like, oh, my God. Because the mom was like, now, if you don't show up at Cinderella Castle, I'm going to be very upset. Like, no, of course you're going to be very upset. <laughs> right. It's not even an issue of being in trouble. It's an issue of safety. Come on. <laughs> Oh, so that just, yeah. But 
It's okay. But I'm sure, I'm sure like reading this as a kid, I was like, oh, because, you know, every kid wants independence. Right. And I was probably like, oh, they get to walk around by themselves. They get to go explore this ship. And the, the ship is kind of safe. I mean, it's contained. Yeah. You know, you can't unless you fall overboard or something. Right. Which would be hard, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. There are people watching you. And I just, I, you know, as a kid, like, you know, we didn't, we didn't travel a ton. So even going to hotels was really fun. And it just was like a floating hotel with like a whole bunch of pools and an arcade and like restaurants. It just was like, it was everything that you could dream of as a kid. And then going to Disney World on top of it. Yeah. It just was like. Of course they wrote this book. Like, of course this is, kids gobbled this up because it was just like, this is what we all wanted to do. Yeah, it was fun to watch them like discover all of the things about the ship and to like discover it with them. I'm sure as a kid would have been really exciting. Especially like it's just, so many kids don't get the chance to go on either of these trips, let alone both. And so it's a nice like window into what that experience might be like if you're a kid that doesn't get to travel or doesn't get to go somewhere cool until they're much older. Um, Like I was lucky to be able to go to Disney World and then we went on this big family Disney cruise. Like that was such a privilege, but I'm sure kids that live vicariously through this, like it's really special. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's so true. I echo your safety concerns though. I agree, like (laughs) the, the ship is fine, but every time these kids were allowed to just like roam in Disney World, as somebody who has a terrible sense of direction, even as an adult, I just feel like they're giving these kids a lot of credit that they're going to be able to find their way to these different landmarks. And then they also were like set loose on an island in the Bahamas. Like they're walking around Nassau by themselves, yeah, which is just really a bad idea. And I also was like trying to put this in context of some of the other books that we've read for the podcast. And I feel like the 80s was like such the age of like this fascination around kidnapping, like the face on the milk Yes, it and was. So it just, like doesn't make any sense. It feels like our girl, Anna Martin, who I love, obviously, was just like, you know what? Like if these kids are really going to get into stuff, we just have to let them go free. And I guess, I guess that's true. It just does not make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It worried me. I'm glad everybody was safe. But well, then at yeah. the end, well, then at the end we have Karen who gets kind yes. of separated. So... You know, that was the person we were least worried about. Yeah, Karen always finds a way. Karen's sad. <laughs> she does. But this was this book was so much fun. To, like, you know, I hadn't read it for for a really, really long time. And I can see how inspired I was by it, even in my own writing. And, and I, I didn't even really realize how much I loved the Babysitter's Club and how much I used the structure of it kind of to create, like, a story like Pretty Little Liars, like all the different, you know, it's, I love multi-POV. I don't know why I loved it. Well, clearly this is probably one of the first book series that I read that had chapters from, from all these different characters who were very different personalities. And I, <laughs> I also completely forgot about this. There is a Pretty Little Liars book. I think it's number, I, I'm terrible. I should know my own. I should know my to own To be book. fair, you have a lot. <laughs> it was one of the later ones. They they go on a cruise. They go on a cruise for, well, it's for a school trip. But like, you know, and I based it kind of on a cruise that I had been on. But I also sort of, I knew I was drawing from somewhere. And I probably did think about this book. But like, clearly the whole, I, I could have made them just go on a on a class trip you know travel by plane or whatever but that I made them go on a cruise like this this book was very 
it made a big impact. And I, and I kind of didn't even realize until reading it again. And I knew like structurally every, I loved that everybody had their own sort of thing going on. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so where I got this idea, you know, the prelim liars idea. I mean, not the, you know, not the plot, but like, you know, everybody had their own little problem, little mystery to solve. And then there was sort of this like end set piece and Karen getting lost. And it was like the big, you know, climax. So yeah. I'm just like, you know, there's a reason I read this book 10 times. <laughs> yeah. I Now that you mention it, I can like totally see some of those parallels. And like, I think what I, one of the things that I love the most about the Babysitter's Club when I was a kid was that we like, yes, we saw these kids existing at school and with their friends and, and sort of in their shared adventures, but also we got to see what was happening with them at home. Yeah. And I don't really remember seeing that as much when I was a kid. I feel like I was raised primarily on like school stories and you know, it was very much like the age of like after school specials focused on divorce. And as like a child of divorce, it was so great to me to see something like divorce normalized in Christie's mm-hmm. life. And I feel like your work does something similar where it's like, yes, we have these kids interacting with each other and um, doing, you know, quote, normal teen things, but they also all have their individual family challenges and like weird dynamics right. with their parents and siblings. And so, yeah, I can see how there's like definitely some shared DNA between the babysitters and pretty little liars. So uh, yeah, that's really cool to be able to get back in touch with. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And kind of not even realizing uh, how often do we really go back and read childhood books? I mean, we don't occasionally, because I have boys, um, I have a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, almost nine. He's still eight, but you know, and so now we're getting into like books that I to the age where I was really into reading, but they don't read the same things that I used to read. So (laughs) there's not a lot of overlap. And, you know, it's just not that often that I go back and read stuff that, that I loved to read before I was really writing. So it was just fun to go back to this and be like, oh, well, this is sort of where I got this. And I loved it. Yeah, they, they do. They do normalize a lot of different types of families, which I probably didn't even realize at the time. And, you know, it, it's funny, too, like, the way that they kind of gloss over, like, Dawn's situation. I think she, in this, I think it was in this book where she was just like, I think it's, or maybe it was Christy, where she was like, yeah, my dad ran off. I don't know. I never saw him again. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Yeah, she normalizes that. And Dawn also normalizes the fact that she's been on, like, all of these flights. Like, and that wasn't yeah. my experience at all because my parents never lived that far away. But. Yeah. Yeah. Just like her casual mention of like all of the time she's had to fly by herself across the country with her brother. Like, yeah, sort of the way that Christy's like, oh, yeah, like my dad's gone, whatever. Don's like, Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, you know, I go on planes all the time. It's no big deal. I feel like most of the kid lit at that time, from what I remember, like there was this trauma around it of like, oh, it's such a drag to have to get on the Mm -hmm. plane. And Don looks at it as kind of an adventure. Like I've gotten to go on all of these trips and it's like so cool. And there are, of course, books in the series that, like, address challenging parts of divorce and blended families. And Dawn, sadly, has to, like, move back to California. Like, these things happen that are sad. But I just think that one of the things that Anna Martin has done so well is normalize it. Or, like, even Stacey's diabetes. Like, I'm not sure that it's necessarily, like, used in the way that makes the most sense in this book. Yeah. And I do think there are moments when, like, it feels a little exploitive throughout the series. But in general, the fact that this is just like a thing that Stacy deals with or the loss of Marianne's mom, which actually factors in really heavily here, 
there's just like a little something for each kid to have to deal with. And for the most part, they deal with it. Sometimes there are like issues associated with it, but like they're all just like living their lives and being kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm sure that's what I loved about it. I was, I was always a a fan of like realistic fiction as a kid, you know, and I I think about why, because I mean, there's like great fantasy that I just like completely didn't read as a kid. And yeah, I think it, it, I just liked seeing, I liked seeing myself in books. Like it was, you know, it was just like, yeah. or, or, you know, I just liked seeing how other kids interacted and made me feel more normal or mm. I don't know. Yeah. It was just, I liked reading about friendship. I liked reading about family. I didn't really need to go into completely new worlds. I just needed to go on a cruise <laughs> to Disney World. don't we all that's enough of a departure from real life so let's talk about some of the specific dramas of this book because okay where there are babysitters there is a babysitting but also a little bit of drama always um yes yeah so I did want to call out one of my favorite lines of of the book which doesn't necessarily lead into any drama but I just have to mention it because Christy she cracks me up um within like moments of getting on the cruise, Christy says, since all five of us are on this trip, we should hold club meetings every day, just short ones, you know, so we can keep track of what the kids are up to. First of all, Christy, you're not, you're not here working. It's really easy for you to say that because you're not one of the babysitters that's actually babysitting. Like if I were Christy, I too would be like, yes, let's have a casual fun hang and we'll pretend that it's a meeting. But she, like, she's such a workaholic and I do love that about her. Take a day off, Christy. Right. <laughs> she could run the world. But yes, that doesn't lead to a lot of drama. Although, like, the biggest thing they have to figure out is, like, what souvenir to I know. give their parents. And they, like, causes all this tension between them throughout the story. Like, they're always like, oh, that's a stupid idea. Like, we can't get right. them that. They can't figure it out. They can't right. figure out what to get. And the framing device for this whole book itself is that this is like a scrapbook of their experience um so anyway luckily there's not too much drama associated with the meetings the first big thing that happens is that there's all this roommate mm-hmm. roommate infighting because claudia don and christy as the vacationers and not the babysitters are sharing a room and christy is a slob and don's pretty upset about it because she just wants things to be neat and we only live in extremes in babysitter world. So we have the slob and then the total stickler for neatness. And then Claudia has to play the referee. And I read in one blog post that was like, you know, so weird and so rare for Claudia to be the voice of reason. (laughs) (laughs) It is so extreme. Like it's like dirty clothes and like chips on the ground. And like somebody climbs out of a bed and there's just wrappers um, and then Dawn's going around. First of all, I knew nobody like that who went around like folding other friends' clothes. No, that's weird. <laughs> and I just, you know, those cruise, those, I, I will say those, those rooms are small. The yes. cabins in, on cruise ships are small. So, you, you know, it's better if you keep it neat. But I, I have to side with Christy here. I was, I was probably pretty, I was probably pretty messy. Well, it's also like, like you said, the rooms are small and you're not spending that much time in them because they're small, no. because there's so much else to do. Yeah. But it is like so funny how they both exaggerated their neatness or yes. their <laughs> slovenliness just to like get on each other's nerves. And I was like, that's not being very good friends. I was like, I don't know if I would do that 
to a friend. I don't know. Yeah, they they really leaned into their like, yeah, personas yeah. as the neat friend or the messy friend. And I also think it's funny because um, I don't know. We always I I always joke about how you know there's like we all have vacation versions of ourselves. Right. And maybe that's more a thing that happens when you're an adult because when you're a kid, like the, the dividing line between vacation and real life is a, le- is a lot less uh, extreme when you're an adult. Like obviously vacation life is way different than your day-to-day life. But I'm like, I don't like neither of them are being their best selves in this situation. No. And I just feel like vacation alley is like kind of best self alley. And I think most people would agree so it was interesting to me that, like, this was how they chose to behave within, like, moments of arriving on the ship. There was no honeymoon period. Yeah. I mean, there was no inciting incident. But, like, like for example, I'm trying to think, is it sort of like camp selves? Like, you you know, you yes, go with a friend totally. to camp. And, like, I went with this friend to camp probably right around when this book came out, like, fourth grade. And probably because we were interacting with other people that we didn't know or like some jealousy came up or whatever and like she started being really mean to me and I don't think like there was any like folding clothes or whatever but like but there was no it wasn't like anything happened between these two that would have kind of provoked this behavior (laughs) besides like you're neat and I'm not so yeah, that's, it was it was a, a lot puzzling to me. And Claudia had to had to referee them, but they made up pretty quickly. Like it yes, seems like, yes, you know, it was rough on the ship. They made it work. But as they soon as they got to the hotel, things were better. As my grandmother always says, three is a very bad number. So I just think having the three of them in one room was never going to go well anyway. Yeah, I appreciate that that Claudia did not take sides. Yes, she was that good. She just, that she just was like... And you know, it's a, it's funny that Dawn did not get annoyed that she brought her whole closet. That was like a thing that kept coming up is that she brought her whole closet and like was taking up all the room in the in the closets or whatever. I don't... I don't... It's not like that was really described. And I was kind of confused. I was like, well, how did she fit all that stuff like in a suitcase? And like, it sounds like she had a million pairs of shoes, like a whole bunch of accessories... It just seemed like she would have had to have a lot of luggage. And it's funny that Dawn was not mad about that. But Yeah, I don't think Claudia travels light. I think she always. No. Yeah. And that was before, this was before, um, before there were restrictions on luggage. It also was just interesting to read about travel, like pre 9-11. Like they were talking, Christy was saying how like she'd been in an airport before, but she'd never been on a plane. I know. And it reminded me of the fact that like, before 2001, you could just, like, go sit at a gate and, like, you wait could. for somebody to arrive. Oh, yeah. I remember having my dad walk me right to the gate. Yeah. Like, if I was going to fly somewhere. Yeah. It's so different. I, it was were, nice. Like, weird moments. It was nice. There were a couple moments <laughs> in this book, though, where I was like, oh, it used to be like that. That was so strange. Mm-hmm. We kind of referenced this earlier, but there's also kind of a big drama with Marianne and this friend-ish that Marianne makes on the ship named Alex Mm -hmm. and Marianne's loss of her mother like really figures heavily into what happens because Mallory like of course is like stalking everybody on the ship and everybody thinks that this girl Alex is so glamorous because she's like getting her nails done on the boat alone and she's beautiful and everybody's commenting on how cool she is she has this conversation with Marianne where she um she's cut off like she has to go somewhere mid-sentence but 
it becomes abundantly clear to Marianne that what she was going to say is that her parents were killed. And so she's like right, on right. this <laughs> boat alone. And then she goes on to call herself an orphan. Like she's really, again, leaning into this. Nobody's, yeah. we're all, we're just going in the extremes. And then Mallory later on in her spy mission overhears her talking about her parents. And then Mallory, of course, has to be the bearer of bad news, which is mm-hmm. awkward. Although I don't know that Mallory really needed to get involved. But she does <laughs> tell Marianne, she's like, FYI. Yeah. Alexandra is not an orphan. And she comes upon them in the line. Yeah. In Disney World later. Well, then Marianne's like, I can't deal with this right now. Like, she was actively trying to avoid Alex, which, yes. and, again, another overreaction, I think. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, totally. just you don't just you don't have to talk to her you I just know. don't have to but I did feel for Marianne to the extent that like in the moment of making that connection with Alex she felt really understood yeah and it sort of goes back to what we were saying earlier about like normalizing these different kinds of families for Marianne it was really meaningful to meet somebody who she mm-hmm. felt understood and could like normalize the experience of having lost a parent or in Alex's case allegedly two parents Right. And you can tell Marianne feels this like affinity because she always has all these friends around her, but nobody understands that experience. And she's like, oh, like she will get it. Like nobody Mm -hmm. else gets this but us. And so it is very hurtful to her when she learns that Alex is lying. And I did pull out the quote of like why Alex lies. And, you know, her brother also like is the boy that we thought was a stowaway because he's like creeping around the ship. These two just... They have these parents that are like lounge singers. I don't know. Right, right. When asked why she lies, she said to get attention and to make life a little more interesting. For the same reasons Timothy, that's her brother, spies on people and hides in coiled up rope and stuff. Makes things interesting. When you're the children of Viv and Vernon Carmody, you tend to get lost in the shuffle. You have to find ways to, to, and then she kind of like trails off and the babysitters are like, how dare you? Right more overreactions like the weird choice totally well first of all i okay i was not clear on how old alex was i don't think it ever says i feel like the babysitter's impression was that she was like maybe a few years older than a few years older because i and this is like so would not be in kid lit these days was like marianne was i think it was marianne yeah it was definitely marianne first when she sees her at the salon was like looking at her body and like yeah Ooh, she really fills out that bikini. Like, I, I hope I look like that someday. And it, it was a little bit like, oh, like, yeah. no. Yikes. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, I absorbed that as a kid, <laughs> as we all did. But, we never um, stood a chance. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the, the sort of reveal was kind of bizarre. <laughs> that, first of all, that they have these, I mean, that must have been really like, you know, she thought her parents, she thought, Marianne thought, she had lost her parents, finally right. had somebody to talk to. And it turns out that her parents are like lounge singers, folk singers. I couldn't figure out like what sort of singers they were. They were singing on the ship, weren't they? Or no, they were singing at Disney World. I don't know why I decided they were lounge singers. I think it's their names. Like Viv and Verdon Carmody just yeah. like, feel like they're lounge singers. And it was, I, I couldn't tell because it was like they were they were singers that their parents liked right the people yeah. their parents age liked <laughs> right. so I was like I don't uh, what generation is that I wasn't even sure like that's got to be kind of disappointing and like weird like really you're lying about having parents and your two parents are right here and like you should appreciate them because you know even though they're right. I don't know it just felt very like I I don't I don't blame the babysitters for being mad 
<laughs> to the babysitters. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a weird move, especially because, like, the fact that she's like, I wanted to make my life more interesting. You're on a mm-hmm. ship traveling around the world because your life your is already pretty interesting. Are lounge singers, and I don't yeah. understand how your your brother Timothy thinks that like hiding in coiled up rope is going to make things more interesting. And I have some questions about that because we find out that Timothy was the like secret admirer that's been writing Claudia notes the whole right. time that they were on the ship. Which like, <laughs> as a 32 year old, I obviously called that. But I just, I, I guess we're meant to assume that Timothy is roughly the same age as the babysitters. And that feels like a really immature reaction to being the mm-hmm. child of lounge singers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just going to like creep around the boat. Well, I know. I, that was another one where I just was like, I think written in today's, you know, in a book today, somebody doing that, leaving anonymous messages, yeah. even if they're like, supposed to be flattering is like yeah. really creepy <laughs> and and in this book it's sort of like exciting and it's yeah. like Claudia don't go after him he might be you know it just was very I was worried about her although I had read it before and I knew it was going to be fine I'm trying to remember which story I liked the most yeah as a kid I it probably I probably did think the secret admirer thing was interesting you know because probably at that age you know that it was like, we didn't know how to, I didn't know how to talk to boys and boys certainly didn't know how to talk to girls. And it just yeah. felt like, oh, somebody is giving you gifts. Right around that age, I got a, my parents laugh about this. I think I was in fifth grade and I, somebody sent me, some boy sent me a, like a ring in the mailbox. Now it was like a ring that you got from like a gum machine. Nice. But it was a giant <laughs> diamond, <laughs> giant, giant fake diamond. Fancy. And it said from your secret admirer. And I never found out who it was from. Wow. So. If you're listening and you sent Sarah Shepard a ring. <laughs> who was it? Who, Please tell me. Show yourself. <laughs> yes. And I, it was just so funny because it was not signed. And it was not, and, but it was not, I didn't think of it as like, am I being bullied here? Am I being made fun of? No, I genuinely, and that's how my parents took it. They were like, oh, somebody likes you. Like it was not. It was, and, and now I, I think it would have a different edge to it. Like, why did somebody do this? This is kind of weird. Yeah. Well, Claudia's barometer just feels a little off. Like, there's that scene where she's sketching on the island, and she can tell that somebody is, like, following her. Yeah. Um, and she's like, this is so cool. I know. <laughs> Not cool. So that's one love story. I do think that Dawn's love story was, like, also really cute. She meets this boy named Parker. Love story. Yeah. Their love story is, like, I would say a little bit more um, innocent, maybe. Very um, sweet. Very sweet, although Parker has a really bad attitude about his own divorced family situation. Yes. And yes, Don is, like, trying to talk some sense into him. And, of course, they end up babysitting because these girls can't go anywhere without meeting kids to babysit. Right. <laughs> but they had, like, a really sweet relationship. And while I did, again, think it was weird that – these parents just let their kids like waltz around Disney World all day by themselves. I thought it was cute that they like spent the day together in Disney World. Like that's yeah. the dreamiest thing that could happen to you as a kid. Yeah. He buys her like a unicorn charm for her charm bracelet, which is so nice. Yes, I know. No, he was really, he was, he was very sweet. No, I, I, I knew as soon as those kids showed up, I was like, all right, well. But then she kind of showed him like kids can be fun. And it seems yeah. like, but I, I love too that like all of a sudden he was having a good time with these kids. Yeah. Yeah. There wasn't a lot 
she didn't have to do that much work to get him from no. point A to point B on <laughs> <was> like, Yeah. <laughs> I, I think my favorite storyline was Christy befriending oh, yeah. Rudy Staples, who's this, you know, this old man that at first they see just kind of looking lonely on the ship and they end up becoming friends and he confides in her that he's recently lost his wife and he's like regretting even coming on the trip because he feels lonely and like they see him at the airport when they're going to Disney World, like he was going to cut his short his trip yeah. short and they end yeah. up making friends with him. I thought that was really sweet. I thought that was really cute too. I like that it was different too. It was like, I, I don't know. It was it was a friendship story, but it was like an unusual friendship story. And I really, it really made me like Christy a lot. I rem- it's funny because I remember reading the books, being like, eh, Christy, you know, like even though she's, you know, everybody, every group needs a Christy, but um, she was not my favorite. But I, but I also really liked her. She has a big heart in this story. Very I just big thought heart. that was really sweet. Yeah, I have no, I have no critique of her story. I love <laughs> no that she took him to the arcade and like, yeah, yeah, just like so nice. Oh, and she's trying to set him up with her grandmother. Yes, yes, which is cute. <laughs> which is and then they also, cute. they also make friends with a little boy named Mark, Mark Kubaki, and that's really sad. Um, although it ends up being a happy ending, they they meet this kid on the ship who's in a wheelchair, and they learn that he has a heart condition. Mm-hmm. His parents tell the girls that this is sort of like potentially his last trip because he's going mm-hmm. home to have this really major surgery that has a lot of risks. The babysitters kind of like show him that he can do things that are fun, which is that was really sweet too because there were a lot of things at the beginning of the book that he was like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm not allowed to go on these rides. And when they get to, I think it's Epcot, he finds them. He's like, oh, I can do all of these things. Like, And so they spend the day together. And I thought that was really nice too. Yeah. I also liked that I think it was when the kid, like the younger kids first meet him and they were just like, oh, okay. You know, like they're, they, I think they asked him like, oh, why are you in the wheelchair? And he's like, oh, I have a bad heart. Okay, let's go play Donkey Kong. Like there wasn't a lot of, yeah. I was just like, you know, that's, I, that's, that feels very right for kid, like the way kids would kind of behave. And also just, I think reading it, it was like, yeah. Everybody can play Donkey Kong. And I liked, and you know, that's, that is a great thing about um, this series is that it, it, it shows a lot of kind of different situations, but doesn't, I don't know, sensationalize them or make them too sappy or yeah. yeah. It's just, is like that you can meet a lot of people on the cruise or in life or whatever, including uh, children of lounge singers who hide in coils and lie about their parents. Yeah, you never know who you're going to meet on a cruise. Who fill out bikinis? Oh, Spider. Yeah. But there was spider. no Spider, right? Spider. Right, we thought that Spider, this like rock star was on the cruise. And so then Claudia was convinced that Spider was the secret admirer. The secret admirer. Which like, I probably would have gone there too mentally had I been in Claudia's shoes. Like, of course, Spider is the one who's after me. I was totally laughing though. I was like, this is, cruises must have been different back then because I can't imagine like rock stars... Right. Even even lounge singers. Yeah. Like going on cruises. Just lose. <laughs> These like... lounge singers are just like loose on the cruise. On the Ocean Princess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah on the Ocean Princess. Oh yes. my goodness. Well, there's a lot going on in this book, and I think we've covered most, if not all, of it. And I'd love just to hear from you, Sarah, like on the whole, how you feel that this rereading experience, especially combined with the discussion that we've now had had about the book 
How does it all compare to your memories of reading it when you were a kid? Does it largely hold up? Did it let you down in some ways? It largely, it held up. It is funny, the things that I notice now that I did not notice then. I mean, mostly the kids running around by themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, But I think I was so excited to read this because I had read it so many times as a kid. And I still like got the same, just just that it's like that perfect transporting feeling of like, okay, I am on this cruise with them. I am at Disney world with them. And it's also fun that Disney world is, is pretty much like kind of the same as when this book was written. I mean, I'm sure there are new rides and things like that, but like, you know, Epcot is still there. There's still Cinderella's castle is still there. I think there's still a monorail or at least there was when I, I mean, when I went, which was a long time ago, but there is, I think. Yeah. And it just like, and Mickey and Minnie still walk around and I don't know if they sign autographs anymore, but like. Peter Pan's or like some other rides, like the Peter Pan ride or like the Snow yeah, White ride. Yeah, like a, and Space Mountain. Space Mansion. Mountain's still there. Yeah. Um, so it just was like, no, it felt like the same experience. So that was really fun. And I think the thing that I loved about the book wasn't even the, the individual stories, even back then, but more was, you know, the, this fantastic trip that they all got to go on together as friends and it just seemed like a dream so I it was it was fun to relive it and um now I'm gonna have to try to track down the the sea city one because I loved that one too I forget what that one was called though I forget what it was called too but they did adapt that storyline uh for the Netflix oh, show re- yeah so I forget oh, which, we'll have I to can't, watch it. yeah I think it's either the end of the first season or the beginning of the second but there I think one episode, maybe two, where they're in Sea City. So it's really cute. I would oh, recommend cute. it. Okay. Oh, and I cute. think, like, what you were just saying to recap, it made me think of the fact that, like, and I've said this on the podcast before, but one of my writing teachers um, used to say, like, if you're bored of your characters or you don't know what to do with them next, just put them somewhere different. Like, take them somewhere completely removed. And I feel like that's a little bit what's happening here. But the way that the series was constructed in such a way that, like, by the time readers got to super special number one, they felt like they're part of this group. They know these right. girls well. They identify with one or two or three of the girls. Like they understand their place in this group. And because all of that legwork had already been done, by the time we are then as readers transported to this cruise and then to Disney World, like like you said, Sarah, like you feel like you're on the trip. So I think it sort of speaks to how smart the larger architecture of the series was. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I totally agree. Well, this was so fun to read. Thank you for choosing it. This was a oh, delight. Oh, of course. <laughs> Total delight. Other than babysitters on board, uh, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? I just need to figure out who the author is. I read a book called Disappearing Earth. And the author, I think, is Julia Phillips. And it was it's just like combined short stories. I think it's Julia Phillips and it's about these missing, it's kind of about missing girls, but it's just like, it just is so well done. It's about a place that I have never, I never even knew about. It's just like this territory or this sort of area of Russia that I'd never heard of, but it really isn't about the area. It's just about relationships and different people interacting and these girls are missing and it's just like, they're trying to find them. And it just, I don't know. It's just really, really well done. So I love that. I'm sure there's more that I've read though recently uh, that I that I also have loved. Um, I do. I read a lot. Obviously, Babysitter is super special. 
Um, and that was the best thing. That really blew everything else out of the water. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I read before? I mean, obviously I, I read, you know, I, I went on a string of like reading stuff that I was, or, or I listened to a lot of audiobooks too, where I was just like, eh, that was pretty good. Or sometimes I won't even finish. I did like um, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. So good. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. I I finished that, I don't know, like last month or something. I thought that was great. I, you know, I'm a huge fan of video games. So I just thought that was really creative. And, you know, that was such an interesting world to set it in. And, you know, I liked the relationships and um, I liked the characters and all of that. I thought I just like the voice was really good. And yeah, so I thought that was great. But yeah, I, I almost feel like I'm in a little bit of a slump. I need to kind of, I've been starting a lot of things, but it's like, eh, do I really want to, I don't know. Do you do that? Oh, yeah. I, I'm i trying to get better at not finishing I know. things because I feel like I have so many books that yeah. I want to read. And then I try to force myself to read things that I don't love. And then yeah. I get into a slump. So I totally feel your pain. But I will link to Disappearing Earth and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I feel like Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow was one of the few books over the last couple of years that's like really um, matched the like bookstagram hype about it. I'm always a little skeptical, but I love that mm-hmm. book. It was really... It, I don't know. It was just, it, it was so different. It was different yeah. than really anything that I'd read. And I always like reading books about creative people. And then there's yeah. sort of like the creative thing within the book. Yeah. You know, whether it's like somebody's writing a novel or somebody's an artist, a, you know, a painter. Like, you know, when there's sort of a – it's like this whole other skill level that an author has to have. It's like they yeah. don't have – you're not creative enough by just – creating a plot and these characters and whatever you also have to create this like other artistic thing and the video games felt like real video games like they felt like games I would play um or games that like you know game designers would come up with and like so I really respect the level of of research done because I I mean I just can't even imagine (laughs) I don't know I'm trying to there was another yeah um it's a lot of world building there. <laughs> yeah, the book, um, the plot, it was like that too. It just was an author. Yeah, that um, book was wild. Yeah, and that book was fun to read too because it was so, it was so much about like you know the career of an author. Yeah, but it's just it felt like sort of that in the same way of like okay, not only does she have to create this the story, but also it's like the story within the story, and like I just find that always really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Well, I can link those three books in the show notes. Those are great recommendations. But I also want to talk about your new book. We're so lucky to have you on the show because you're just you have so many fantastic books out there. Of course, we have talked about Pretty Little Liars here on the podcast, but your new book is called Wait For Me. And I want to hear all about it and what inspired it and what readers can expect if and when, obviously, listeners, when they pick it up. Wait For Me is a standalone novel. It's sort of YA. I mean, it's about a young character. She's she's college age and she's going to NYU and she's always felt a little bit like an outcast, like a little bit quirky, very, very smart and is sort of living the Cinderella story. Um, she's dating this guy who ends up being like this sort of it guy of New York, very from a, from a wealthy family his dad is like this major publisher and she wants to go into writing. So she's or into, you know, some sort of publishing. She wants to be a writer, but so it seems like she's living this like dream 
Um, and it even starts off like where they're at sort of this big party, like a ball. And she's, she starts hearing voices in her head about him that there's something dangerous about him. And then she needs to like get away from him. And she obviously is sort of like, what is going on? Where are these voices coming from? What yeah. is wrong with me? Like, what is happening? He sort of notices that she's behaving strangely and she does not want to lose this relationship. But she kind of hears this voice and she starts seeing these visions and she just needs to kind of, she wants to clear her head. So she just kind of gets out of the city for a few days, lies to him about it. It's just because she just kind of wants to get away from him. Like, should I trust my instincts here? Like, what is going on? She feels drawn to this beach town, which, you know, I, again, like love writing about beach towns and vacations and whatever. Her vacation is not really a vacation, though. She stays in this like dumpy little motel sort of place. She feels drawn to this beach town, though, just to right outside the city, just to kind of clear her head. And when she gets there, she kind of has even more strange visions and she does not know what is going on with her mind. I don't want to spoil too much, but this is very much in the beginning of the book. But what is proposed to her is that this is perhaps a past life. And she makes all of these interesting connections and begins to believe that this is true. And there is this whole story of these two people from a past life. They were very much in love. And she begins to believe that she is this person. Her name is Becky. Um, from the past life. The girl in the present is named Casey. And lo and behold, she runs into somebody from this town who she also thinks was the guy that she was in love with in the past life. So it's this like, she, it's like she's living out her sort of past life in the present. And it's questioning like, do past lives exist? Like does romance, does it sort of transcend lives? What is she going to do about this previous relationship? Is he actually dangerous? Like, what is going on here? So it's kind of like a, it's like a romance, but it's also a mystery. It's a thriller and it's sort of on this windswept beach and it's, and it's got a little paranormal element to it. So it was really fun. Sounds fun. Sounds juicy in all kinds of great ways. Yeah. I I don't want to give like too much away, but, um, you know, whether it's true, whether it's not true, who the who the boyfriend is, who the new guy is, all of those things. But there are twists and turns, and it was it was a lot of fun. It was a little bit different than than what I usually write, but honestly, not that different because it, there was still sort of an, a mystery to plot out. And I think a lot of my books have have a romance in them anyway. Well, it sounds fantastic. Listeners, make sure you get yourself a copy of Wait For Me. I will link it in the show notes. Sarah, like I said, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. We're so lucky to have this time with you. Thank you. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. I will read Babysitter's Club books anytime. (laughs) (laughs) You'd like me to come back. You have a standing (laughs) invitation anytime you want to read a Babysitter's Club book with me. (laughs) All right, perfect. Bye. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. 
To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.